Santa looks like. Some people reckon they know what Santa looks like because they've seen him flying through the sky. Have you ever seen Santa flying through the sky on Christmas night? Anyone ever seen that? All right, well, uh, one person's put up his hand and guess what? I don't believe you, brother. <laughs> I don't believe you because I tell you why, for a number of reasons. Uh, one of those reasons is that uh, Santa travels so fast you wouldn't be able to see him. Uh, the uh, mathematicians have worked all of this out and they reckon that in order for Santa to uh, travel across the world and deliver all of the presents that he's got to deliver in one night, that he's got to travel at a speed of, uh, at, at the very least, 62,400 kilometres per hour. So guess what? You blink and you'll miss him. Uh, you're not going to see Santa. So what we've had to do over the years is we've had to rely on artists' impressions of Santa. And uh, the, the artists' ideas of Santa have changed over the years. Uh, they used to think that Santa was a tall, thin man, uh, usually with a fairly serious look on his face, and uh, he would alternate his outfit. One year, some years he'd wear red, sometimes he'd wear a brown uh, coat. But all of that changed in about uh, the 1930s, because in the 1930s, Santa started to look a whole lot happier and a whole lot fatter as well. And the reason being that he started drinking Coca-Cola. That's a fact. He started drinking... You see, uh, back then, people living in the Northern Hemisphere, in America and Europe, uh, they would drink plenty of Coca-Cola during the hot summer months, but come Christmas time around winter, nobody was buying any Coke. So the uh, advertising executives at... Uh, Coca-Cola headquarters uh, decided that if Santa Claus started drinking Coke at Christmas, then maybe, just maybe, the, the idea might catch on. And so uh, in 1931, they developed their image of Santa. Uh, the image of Santa as a rather fat and very, very jolly, happy fellow wearing a red outfit. And for the next 30 years, right up until the early 1960s, that was the image of Santa Claus that they promoted every year at Christmas time. And that is the image that has stuck. That's the image that most people have of Santa. So that is how we know what Santa looks like. He's just like, has everyone got one of the church notice sheets? Well, in your notice sheet there, there's a, a picture of Santa and that was the 1959 advertisement for Coca-Cola. And that's the one where Santa Claus was caught red-handed in the act of raiding the family's fridge and stealing the bottle of Coke. You see it? It's a strange thing when you think about it, isn't it? Because, you see, there are a few things about Christmas which people tend to think are very long-held and precious traditions, like for example what Santa Claus actually looks like, but when you, when you research it, you, you discover that the, these things are very, very recent uh, ideas, very recent traditions. 
and often these are traditions that have grown up uh, in order to um, make us want to spend money to um, to make companies grow bigger and to keep the economy rolling on but this morning what we're going to do is we're going to cut through the commercialism of uh, Christmas and we're going to look at the one image which is the only true image of Christmas and that's the image of a baby who was born in a little town of Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. Now, when the historian Luke wrote about the birth of this child, and he wrote nearly 20 centuries ago, he wrote about a young couple, Mary and Joseph. They were just ordinary people in many ways. Um, Joseph was a carpenter. Mary was his uh, bride-to-be. And Mary was about to give birth. Now, this was a very special birth. In fact, it was, an ex- it was a miraculous birth because they weren't married and they hadn't been... Well, she was a virgin. This was a miraculous birth, a birth which we're told uh, a conception from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, at this time, the... The mighty Roman Empire ruled the world. And Caesar Augustus had decided that he wanted to know exactly how many people that he ruled over. And so he was going to conduct a census. And what that meant was that every man had to return to the, uh, the town of his birth. Now, it was a busy time in Bethlehem. Um, The no vacancy signs were out all over the place. All the accommodation was booked out, a bit like probably Port Macquarie is this week, uh, at least this week coming. And Mary and Joseph ended up having to spend the night uh, in a cow shed. Now, that's not your ideal form of accommodation, is it? And even worse than that, uh, Mary went into labour and she gave birth in a cow shed. Can you imagine that? Um, how unhygienic would that be? I mean, Jesus was born in a place that stunk. It stunk of straw and it stunk of manure. Right? Uh, now, these days, of course, nativity scenes, are, um, they look very cute, don't they? You know, like the, they make the manger out to look like it's a very cosy and friendly and nice you know a manger is a cow trough it's a feeding trough for cows you don't want to put a newborn baby in a cow trough now there were some other ordinary people that are described in this passage um, and they are the shepherds again we've got this kind of cute sort of image of shepherds don't we but i've got to tell you this was no glamour job this was hard work it was dangerous. Uh, it was, you know, these guys, they slept out under the stars at night. Sounds great, but not when it's freezing cold. Uh, their job was to protect sheep from uh, vicious wolves. It was a lowly job and it was a dangerous job. But that night, these particular shepherds experienced something which was extraordinary. And I want you to have a look at that because it's in that passage that, uh, that's printed for you. And I'm going to read it again from verse 8 
uh, through to verse 14. I want you to think about these shepherds and what happened, what they experienced on that night. So picking it up at verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So that was the message of the angel to them. Now, Christmas is a very wonderful time, isn't it? Do you, um, what do you love about Christmas? What, is, what, what, what do you think? Let me ask you, what's the favourite thing for you about Christmas? Or one of the good things about Christmas? Anyone want to um, have a go? Just tell us something that you really enjoy about Christmas. Um, over there, holiday time. Who loves holidays? Yes, absolutely. Something else good about Christmas? Yep. Family time at Christmas. Yep, Rex. Atmosphere. The atmosphere of Christmas. What, what, what is it about the atmosphere that you like, Rex? Just happiness. Happiness. So we've got happiness, we've got family, we've got holidays. Anything else about Christmas? What's that? Santa comes, Santa comes at Christmas time. Uh, who enjoys presents at Christmas time? Absolutely. I've already opened up my Christmas presents. And, I, you know, the, picking up on what Rex has said about the atmosphere... There's this thing about Christmas that kind of makes you think that everything is right in the world, just for a moment. And everything is right in our lives, just for a moment. But the message of Christmas, that is the true message of Christmas, is actually different from that. Because it tells us that everything is not right in the world. You see... Jesus wasn't just born into a stable that had a stench. He was born into a world that had a stench. And I'm talking about the stench of sin. The stench of sin. Now, it's interesting to think about what Aussies feel about God and spiritual matters. And I kind of try to keep a track of the latest polls that are conducted and studies of what people think and so on. And uh, what they tell us is that the vast majority of Australians say that they are very aware that there is more to this life than the treadmill of our daily existence, that there is a spiritual dimension to life. In fact, uh, despite the vocal atheism of our day, uh, the majority, about 67% of Aussies, say that they believe in the existence of God. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because when you look at the world, we're in a beautiful place here in Port Macquarie, aren't we? Some of you are here on holidays. Some of us have the privilege of living here. And it's a great place to be because you see so much of the nature, uh, the rainforests, the oceans, the uh, the, the uh, the animals, the, uh, the dolphins, the whales, we're surrounded by it. And it's hard not to look at the creation and to think, hey, there is a designer. There is one made everything that we see around us. And the Bible tells us that that person is God. 
that uh, God in his creative genius has made the whole world and guess what? That means that he has made you. He's made me. He has made you, every one of us, individually. And you are the most special part of his creation. I'll tell you why. Because God has made us humans to live in friendship with him. That makes us pretty special. And on that night, in the, out in those fields, the, the shepherds looked up in the sky and what they saw was this, uh, a glimpse of this spiritual reality as the angels appeared to them. And in verse 11, one of the angels spoke about the virgin that had given birth to the baby. And he told them two things about the baby. Two things. He said, first of all, that this baby is the saviour who has been born. And secondly, that he is Christ the Lord, that he is the ruler, that he is the king from heaven. Now, earlier on, an angel spoke to Joseph in a dream and he told him about the baby and he said that he was to give him the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Now, how can that be? And what does it mean? that Jesus would save his people from their sins. Um, every so often you hear about a good news story, about uh, someone who has just done something wonderful for somebody else for no particular reason. I read about one of those stories uh, last year. There was a, I read it in the Port Macquarie News. There was a, a lady and her son here in Port Macquarie, uh, who were at the optometrists. Uh, the son needed a new pair of glasses. They'd picked out a frame, they'd gone to the counter, they'd got it all sorted out. Then the lady said to the optometrist, she said, I can't afford to pay for these spectacles. Um, I'm going to have to come back in a week or two and pay for them because I just do not have the money available. Anyway, she went away for a few moments and uh, to do something and when she came back, to her surprise, the optometrist said, uh, those glasses, they've just been paid for. There was another customer standing there at the time who heard what she had to say and got out his or her credit card, paid for it and walked out the store. That's a great story, isn't it? It's true. It must be true. It was in the Port Macquarie News. And, you know, that uh, family, the lady was interviewed and she said that um, she went home to her family and they talked about it and they were just so overwhelmed with the person's generosity that they decided one day we're going to do that for somebody else in gratitude for what had been done to them. And, you know, friends, the Bible teaches us that we have a bill that we can't afford to pay. And that's the bill that we owe to God. I mean, think about it. We owe God every breath of life that we breathe. But more than that, we are indebted to God because of our sin. You see, we often think of sin, don't we, in terms of just the wrong things that we do, like stealing or lying, or, and that's true. 
But it goes much deeper than that. It goes to an attitude of our heart. An attitude of our heart that says, well, God, actually, I'd rather live my life without you. I mean, yep, sure, you exist. I'm part of the 67 or whatever percent of Australians who say, yep, thumbs up to God, know that he exists. But the reality is I'd prefer just to go through my life, living my life my way. If I need you, God, I'll call on you at some stage. But, friends, that is ignoring God. You might as well say that he doesn't exist if we treat him like that. And that's what sin is. It's an attitude of our heart that says, I'd rather live my way, not God's way. Thank you very much. You know what we find? Living our way doesn't always work out very well, does it? Because God's way is always best. Living our way, well, that, that's, that's what causes the problems in our world and the problems indeed in our own lives. Some of you know that only too well. But even if we're cruising nicely through life, the reality is that our sinful thoughts and our words and our actions are kind of just mounting up. They're building up against us. And that is the bill that we owe to God. And no matter how hard we try, some people think, well, if only I'm good enough, or if only I go to church enough, or if only I then somehow I'll be able to make up for all of the wrong... No, it doesn't work that way because there's nothing which we can do to repay, to pay back that bill that we owe to God. And one day God will judge us and punish us for our sin. Now that's not kind of the nice, happy Christmas message you were hoping for, (laughs) I suspect. But remember what the shepherds said. They said, a saviour has been born and he is Christ, the Lord. Um, Just this last week, Kim Jong-il, the dear leader of North Korea, died. He's an interesting character, actually. Um, He had a lot of official titles. I did a bit of research on this and to try to work out exactly how many official titles he had. I came up with 54. 54 official titles. But the two that really struck home to me were these titles. Number one, he is, and I quote, officially, the great man who descended from heaven. Do you like that one? Number two, He also bore the official title of the Saviour. The great man who descended from heaven, the Saviour. But as he died a week or so ago, he died owing a very great debt to the many millions of people who he had sorely oppressed throughout his lifetime. Today we celebrate the one who truly is the man who came down from heaven the one who truly is the saviour. Because 33 years after his miraculous birth, when he died, he actually paid the bill that we owed to God. Born in the stench of a cow shed, he died for the stench of our sins. 
arrested, sentenced, crucified. But it was God's will for him to suffer. For as he died, he took upon himself the penalty or the bill for our sins, for your sin, for my sins, for the sins of the whole world. And then on the third day, he rose again. Now, why do we celebrate this? What does this all mean to those of us living here in, here in Port Macquarie today? Well, it means this. And this is the message, the take-home message. It means that God can now offer every one of us forgiveness because the bill's been paid. It means that God can now offer for every one of us a place living with him in his heaven forever because the bill's been paid. But we each need to make a choice, don't we? Uh, we need to choose whether or not we're happy for Jesus to pay our bill for us. And there's a couple of different ways you can go here. You can say, well, look, you know, thank you very much, but no thanks. I met a bloke who told me once, he said, I'd, I'd rather pay the, the bill for my own sins, thank you very much. Most of us are not as blunt as that. But we can say, look, I'm happy just to live my life the way I'm living my life and uh, no thanks, God. But why would you choose that? Because that only leads to, uh, to judgment and punishment and paying the debt. Or we can say yes to God's offer. And that means trusting that Jesus' death on the cross has indeed paid the bill for our sins. And it also means that we'll respond by loving him, by obeying him, and by thanking him for everything that he has done. So what's it going to be for you? Um, what choice do you make about Jesus? We Aussies don't actually need Santa to persuade us to drink cold, fizzy drinks on Christmas Day, do we? Be it Coca-Cola or something else. We don't need any persuasion from Santa. The, the summer heat is enough uh, to persuade us. But as we're enjoying Christmas today, the festivities, as we're enjoying the food and the presents and the uh, family and the fun, and as we're enjoying the tradition, even the new traditions of Christmas, may you remember the baby, the one true image of Christmas, the man who in fact came down from heaven, the man who in fact is our saviour, the man who died to pay your bill. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for the great gift of Jesus. We thank you that uh, your son was born a man, that he lived and died for us. And we pray for each one of us that we would understand the bill that he's paid and how that applies to our lives. Help us to be people who trust in Jesus and to turn our lives over to living for him. And we ask these things in his precious name. Amen.